My name is Brad. I'm a pastor at Sojourn, a pastor over at Sojourn East, and, uh, and I work with Lyle and some of the other lead pastors uh, for the family of churches here in Louisville and, uh, that we call Sojourn Collective. And um, my pleasure to always come out to J-Town and to be able to uh, just share God's Word with you. We're in the book of Galatians, as you know. We're in chapter 4. Um, and uh, before we get into the text, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what I would call as a parent, uh, kind of those facepalm moments. Um, it, we saw some beautiful, uh, beautiful pictures of children coming in. I mean, that's it's a hard thing to do to a preacher is make him uh, get all teary before he comes up. But uh, we'll uh, we'll try to lighten it up with some uh, <laughs> with some thoughts of you know those day, there are times when our kids just they make our heart melt. And then there are other times when they cause us to throw our hands up in the air. What am I going to do with you kind of moments. And the reason we're talking about this is because Paul is having a what am I going to do with you kind of moment with the Galatians. And so to get us in the mood, I thought we'd think about like how would you feel if you walked out, maybe you walked out of your bedroom and you saw those cute little kids. Look at that. Isn't that adorable? You know, maybe you're that mom that's like, this is so cute. I'm going to go get my phone and get a picture. Um, but the rest of us, you know, that kind of brings some anxiety, doesn't it? Oh, look at this one. Look at this one. That, if you don't, that's paint right there. That is paint on the carpet and paint on the TV. So right here, you're kind of in that moment, like, maybe this, isn't, maybe this isn't a picture moment. The kid's looking like he's having a great time. Uh, he's like, look what we did. How about this one? Oh, Thank you, dear. I'll never forget how much you love me. <laughs> what? She seems so proud. And man, like the saint of a parent that took that photo. Um, that's pretty amazing. So there's these moments sometimes when we're like, you know, we put our hands in the air and we, and, and we may say things like, oh, maybe you would never say this. No one here would say this to their child. But the, but the idea of like, what? What are you doing? Surely I've raised you better than this. Have you ever, have you ever uttered that? Maybe you've never said that. I'm pretty sure I've made my parents say that back in the day. Um, I, can, I can see my mom saying, I have raised you better than this. And then, you know, as a child with some wit, my response is, surely you haven't. The data uh, presented here, um, I made that decision. You raised me. Surely you have not raised me better than this. Um, so, so we've got this, we, we're going we're gonna to dive into the text where Paul is kind of at this place where he's kind of raising his hands, but I want you to get, before we go there, I want you to understand the difference between when you say, um, what are you doing, what am I going to do with you to your child, is different than if you say that to, say, someone who's driving in front of you on 265, right? When you say, what are you doing to that guy driving in front of you, you're not, you don't want the best for them at that moment. Like, that's not what you're thinking. You're just like, I wish you would just drive off and, and leave me alone. But with your children, when you say something like, what am I going to do with you when you're at that, your wit's end, it's, it's because you want so much more for them, isn't it? It's because when they make a decision or they do something or they destroy your car, you're like, I want, I, I want a life for you uh, full of joy and full of success. And, and so when you make decisions like these, it makes me wonder, are you ever going to get there? Um, and so that's the kind of love that, that Paul brings to this uh, this text where it's going to sound like he's kind of exasperated. He's like at this place of like, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so that's how we go into the text. And, and the thing that's driving him crazy that you want to listen for, the thing that's driving him crazy is that the Galatians are drifting away from grace. 
The Galatians are drifting away from grace. And so as I, as I read the text this morning, I want you to think of that. What's happening with the Galatians? Why are they drifting? What is frustrating Paul? Um, and, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the temptation to drift from grace. We're going to look at the effect of drifting from grace. And we're going to look at the agents of drifting away from grace. That's what we're going to be looking for in the text. So if you're able, please stand with me. We're going to um, read the word of God. So from uh, Galatians 4, starting in verse 8, it says, But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back against the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of weakness in the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me, So then, I have become your enemy because I told you the truth. They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that they would, or so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. This is the Word of God. You may have a seat. So there it is at the end of that sentence. He says, I don't know what to do with you. In certain translations, it says, I am perplexed by you. Have you ever been in the moment? Maybe it's not with your children. Maybe you are, are a child and you think of your sibling or a friend, but just someone has perplexed you. You are, you are confused and, uh, and you want more for them. That's where we're at uh, here in Galatians. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the temptation to drift from grace. And when we talk about drifting from grace, if you just remember last week, uh, while as he was preaching through Galatians 4, we got this great synopsis of the gospel that Paul said, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And Lyle explained that to us, what that meant last week, that, that to be adopted as a son, and that, that goes for women and men here, that we were adopted as firstborn sons, that is the equivalent of winning the lotto if, you're, if your father was wealthy. Um, in that day, w- w- if you were the firstborn son, you inherited all of the wealth of your father, right? And so to be adopted as a firstborn son, that means, that means you don't have to worry. Your worries are over. And when we talk about being the firstborn son of God, surely, surely that's as wealthy as it gets, Right? The wealth of God is, is yours as an heir of God. That means, that means you're free to love your family. You're free to, to worship God, to glorify Him. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about anything. That's what it means to be an heir. And he's saying, uh, and, and so when he's saying, why are, why are you going back to something um, other than this great freedom of being an heir of God, that's what begins to frustrate Paul. So what's going on here with the, with the Galatians, if you remember, is that they were, um, before Paul came, they were, they were pagan worshipers. 
They were, they were worshiping false gods. That's the, uh, as he talks about, um, enslaved the things that by nature are not gods. That they had created some gods. And so this is the picture of, of the Galatians. Is they, went from, they went from being pagan, worshiping false gods. Paul comes and he preaches the gospel, preaches the good news. They put their faith in Jesus. They, they experience freedom. But now they're being duped into, uh, into, into following the law, putting themselves under the law um, so, that, so that they um, can appease God, that they can, they can um, be in right standing with God. And so, and so to put this in a context that's helpful for us, because I'm probably not a lot of pagan worshipers here. Maybe there's, maybe there's someone out there, but most of us, that's not our background, right? Um, our background probably comes in two ways. Either one, before coming to Christ, we spent our, our time trying to earn the favor of God. There's something in, intrinsic in us that understands that we are, um, that we are not uh, in relationship with God apart from Jesus. And so we try to be good people. We, 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 try to, we try to live out a morality that says maybe in the cosmic scale that I'm, I'm on the positive side of that cosmic scale. Or with that realization that we're never going to be good enough, we, we, we seek out functional saviors. And what I mean by functional saviors is we try to escape that reality. Anything that I can give my life to that, that um, kind of uh, makes that whole, that, that desire, that need for God go away because I haven't been able to find it. So functional saviors might be anything from, I mean, we, we usually in the church, we like to use the, like, you know, the substance abuse or, or, or one of those things as, our, as our, you know, that, that functional savior. But, but it might be something as mundane as your work. It might be your hobbies. It might be exercise. Uh, it might be a cause that you, you, know, you, you, you find a cause to pour your life into because it makes you feel better that maybe you're tipping the cosmic scale, but there, there are all ways in which we try, to, we try to fill that void. Does that make sense? So when we say the Galatians are coming from this kind of pagan background, put that in that place. That idea of either functional savior or, or this um, living, living in, a, in a moral way that would appease God, that's where they were. And then Paul came and he preached the good news to them and they experienced freedom. And now they're moving towards the law. And when they move towards the law, sometimes that's weird for us too. We're like, well, no one here is trying to go back to, to Jewish law. But we do end up trying to build a Christian morality at times where, where we go from, hey, you're free. Um, you're free in Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You can't earn it. Jesus did it all for you. It's a complete gift. All you have to do is have faith. But um, wait a minute. We've got to talk about your shoes and those tattoos and that music you listen to. We actually have, a, we have some things we have to get straight. We start building a law. We start building a self-righteousness around the faith that we have. Do we not? And so what Paul's saying is Paul, Paul didn't come, at, uh, come to Jesus from that kind of... Uh, pagan, morality, or, or false saviors, he actually came from the law, right? So Paul's saying, uh, I, was, I was all of those things. I was, I was fulfilling the law that was handed down by Moses, and I was doing it as good as anybody could do, and I found freedom in Jesus. I found freedom from that in Jesus. So when he sees, when he sees the Galatians kind of looking at this as if it's a progression, we were lost and dead in sin. We found freedom. And now we're going to progress to law. Paul sees that as a regression. You're just putting yourself back under slavery. 
So whether, whether it's that, whether it's that um, um, functional salvation, meaning we're slaves to sin at that moment, or whether it's we're trying to, to keep the law and to keep the law of Moses, both of those are slavery. So Paul's saying you missed the boat. And, and he sees them as his children, and so there's this frustration from Paul that's saying, why would you exchange freedom for slavery? I get it when you're over here. I get when you're over here, you had no choice. You, you were born into sin. You were forced into slavery. I get it. That makes sense. That's where we all start. But once you've experienced freedom, why, oh why, would you volunteer to be a slave? Why would you give yourself to that? when you've experienced this freedom. So that's why Paul is, is so frustrated with the Galatians at this moment. That's why he's saying, I am perplexed by you. I don't know what to do with you. It was so clear. Now, if you're anything like me, you first look at this text and you go, Galatians, what are you doing? That makes no sense. Why would you do that? But then if you sit with the text for a little bit, you realize it's actually, it's actually pretty normal for us to drift away from grace, isn't it? Why is that the case? Why do we drift away from grace? I think for most of us, freedom is extremely difficult. Because in freedom, there, it's not super tangible. I can't, I can't go and look at a scoreboard and figure out where I'm at. Right? I mean, if uh, anyone remember Shawshank Redemption? You remember that movie? Shawshank Redemption, if you remember, kind of near the end, some of the guys start getting out. It's really difficult. They're, so Shawshank Redemption is about a prison. And, the, um, and when the prisoners, if they've been institutionalized, if they've been in there for so long, when they, when they get released, um, they don't know what to do with their freedom. Uh, and this is actually, we don't need a movie. I mean, this is just reality. If you know people that have been incarcerated, that sometimes they commit crimes just to get back into prison because that's the only way they know how to live. If you remember the, uh, uh, the protagonist in the movie, uh, he, he's working at a, a grocery store and he says, I can't even use the restroom without permission anymore because he's been so institutionalized. And so his boss is like, look, you don't have to ask permission. You can just go use the restroom. And he's like, I can't. Like I literally, I don't know how to live in freedom. And so I think that that's a reality for many of us sometimes, that it's hard for us to step into the freedom that we've been given. And, and last week, Paul uses this analogy of, of adoption, and Lyle did a great job explaining kind of the joy and the purpose of adoption, why he uses that language. But if you've adopted children, or you know people that have adopted children, despite um, the, the greatest intentions of parents to provide a loving, stable family, it is not always easy, is it? I don't know if you know, but, but a lot of times children from adoption, they have, uh, sometimes they have uh, difficulty um, just attaching to parents because they didn't attach as babies. Um, sometimes they have guilt from leaving behind their friends in the orphanage. Sometimes they act out in ways that try to, um, that, that try to sabotage and blow up the, the, this new situation that they find themselves in because they just don't know what to do with this new reality that I've been adopted. And to me, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense with, with, with our relationship um, with this idea of what does it mean to be, uh, uh, to, to be fully free in Christ? To experience that in a way that, that I don't have to try to, I don't go back to trying to earn it. Um, one of the examples that, 
I don't think I've ever used here, but, but I think it's helpful is, um, you know, we kind of live in a floodplain, and uh, every, every once in a while, you know, we'll have a flood, and you'll see someone getting rescued out of the flood in their car, right? So you see kind of this picture. And I always wonder, what happened there? How do you, how do you get there, <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, yeah, you, everyone, everyone here is like, I would never do that, and yet someone in here is going to be there someday. So, what, what generally happens is that, you know, you roll up and you see water over the road, right? See water over the road, but you have confidence because you're in a car and you're like, surely this car weighs enough that I'll be able to drive across this water, right? Um, some of you are looking at your husbands right now, like you would do that, right? <laughs> um, and so they start to drive across, and they don't realize the power and how dangerous the water is. And so, and so the car ends up getting pushed sideways, pushed sideways, and eventually gets swept off into the river. And now you're in real trouble. You're in extreme trouble, but at that moment, what is that car to you? That car is your salvation. It's a boat, right? It's the only thing keeping you out of the water. And so now this thing that gave you confidence, if you remember, is what got you into this place. But now it's the only thing you know. It's the only thing that's keeping you alive. But then, you know, we can see the rescuers are coming. The, the, uh, the firemen are there to help. Now, there's going to be a point as the fireman comes and connects you to himself. Usually they kind of clip you in, right? There's a point that you have to let go of the car. And if you're unwilling to let go of the car, you are going to start to get torn in two because you've got, because of the fireman, he's connected to a rope. He's tied off to the shore and the car is moving its way. There's a point you have to let go. And if you don't let go, you're going to be torn. And so the point being is that there are things like for the, for the Galatians, it might have been that the, uh, the pagan worship for us, it might be functional saviors. It might be our own self-righteousness. It might be the law which we build around ourselves. If we don't let go of that, we'll never experience the freedom and joy of being a child and heir of God. Jesus is saying, let go, and you'll experience that freedom. But if you keep trying to grab onto the car, you're always going to be in distress. Does that make sense? Somehow we have this impulse because of our sin nature that draws us um, away from grace. So we grab onto that car because we want something concrete. We want something measurable. We want to say, this I can measure. I, I can say that I'm doing it. I'm getting better. I'm okay with God because I've reached a certain point level. And that's not the gospel. Kierkegaard um, is a... Christian philosopher back in the day, he said this, he said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. He said, when we experience true freedom, it's almost like looking into the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those places that maybe you go down to um, Red River Gorge, you ever walk up to the edge and just kind of, there's like a dizziness that comes when you actually see, like, that's an interesting kind of freedom, right? Like, I could just, woo. Um, and, uh, and it, it, it brings anxiety and dizziness. And, it, and he says there's something in the human, uh, in the human psyche, in the human soul, that, that when it really experiences freedom, sometimes it can be, it can be dizzying. It can, it can bring about anxiety because, because it requires something of us, not our good works. It requires humility. It requires something that we have a real hard time with, which, which is vulnerability. Just being, just being in that place where you go, I need Jesus, that's the only thing that can save me. 
And you imagine when that guy comes and, he, and the fireman comes and puts his arm around you and you're at that place where it's like, I can't save myself. I can't get from this car to that shore and I have to trust you. I don't know you, but I have to let go and hope that you know what you're doing, right? That's a hard moment sometimes. Even at the, even at the point of exhaustion, you still try to cling. And that's part of what's happening with the Galatians. But if we let go... That freedom, freedom from that futility of getting on that, that hamster wheel of trying to please God. That's what, that's what Paul wants for you. That's what Paul wants for the Galatians. That's what God, that's what your pastors want, is that you would experience that freedom. And what happens is when we, when we instead of drifting from grace, when we move towards grace, not only do we experience that, but as it fills us up, it also overflows out of us. We become grace givers to other people. Does that make sense? When you're filled with grace, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So when you're filled with grace, when you understand, by, by that I just mean when, when you're fully aware of the grace that you have received through Jesus, that becomes something that flows out of you to other people, to your kids. You know, you're able to take the picture um, instead of uh, pulling your hair out uh, of, of your kids. Um, you're able to be that to your spouse, to your friends, to people around you, even those people that you disagree with. You can be a grace giver. Wouldn't that be something new in our culture today? That we could actually be dispensers of grace, even if we have different views. But what Paul says in Galatians, he says, when you drift from grace, that overflows as well. So when you, if, if you're filled with grace, it overflows. When you drift from grace, what fills you also overflows. And that's what he says in verse 12. Just listen to this. He says, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also become like you. So that's that idea. He's like, I was, I was following the law. I've, been, I've done that, and we've both become free. Let's, let's be free. But you have pre- previously, I preached the gospel to you out of weakness of, of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial to you. So he's saying, look, you guys, you guys were overflowing in grace. When I preached the gospel to you, when you received it, you overflowed with grace to me. But then he says, if we jump down to 15, he says, but where's your blessing? He's saying, he's like, where is it now? Because before you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me, but now I've become an enemy to you. You treat me like an enemy. So what's happened is Galatian, the, the, the Galatians, some folks have swept in and, and, and tried, to, tried to move them and, and said, um, you've experienced this freedom, but if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to follow all of the Mosaic law. And, and um, in doing that, they've now turned their, their, they turned their back on Paul who preached the gospel to them. And he's saying, you're now treating me like an enemy. But before, grace overflowed out of you. But now, something else is coming out. What is, what is happening here? And what I would say is this, that the effect of drifting from grace is that we exchange love for cynicism. That when we're filled with grace, love comes out. When we're, when we're not filled with grace, our hearts become bitter. And out of the overflow of our heart becomes, I think, cynicism. 
Because there's, there's, there's a couple truths. One is that we know inherently that we're not good enough. There's something in us that just knows this. We know this as Christians because we read our, our Bible. We know that, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we, we know that um, explicitly. But even if, even if we don't, we kind of know there's something wrong. This world is not right. And so if that's the reality... Um, then, then we have to, and we don't, we don't experience the freedom. See, we're drifting away from grace and that freedom and grace. Then, then we have to start working, right? We have to start working to please God and doing the right things. And so, and so that builds up, I would say, in us. I've got uh, two things as I look around the people around me. So if I'm in that place where I'm saying, I've got to earn it. I've got to, I've got to I'm now under the law. I'm going to fulfill the law. I start looking at all of you and you fall into two categories for me. One, you're better than me. I look at you and I look at your life and I say, man, you're killing it. And so um, if I'm not filled with grace, what does that bring out? It brings out jealousy, right? Um, now I'm like, oh, you're beating me, right? So now my heart is filled with bitterness and jealousy because I've moved away from grace. I'm looking at you as competition rather than as a brother and sister co-heir in Christ. Or it brings out, or I look at you and I go, better than that, right? I look at you and say, I think, I'm, I think I'm winning. And now what comes out of me is condescension, judgment. You should be better. You should be more like me. And so I think what's happening for the Galatians is they're, is they're being moved towards this law, this idea of self-righteousness. You earn, your, you earn your place with God through your works. I think they're becoming bitter. I think out of the overflow of their heart, they're becoming bitter towards Paul. And other people, they're, they're, they're frustrated with Paul's freedom, right? They're jealous of, of his freedom. And, and what's coming out of them is this cynicism. And I think for one of the things we can learn today from this is, is that that's real important to watch what's coming out of you. What's coming out of you towards other people. Not because there's a standard with which we have to live by that will um, uh, appease God, but because it's an indication of are we living in that freedom as heirs with Christ. Jesus says in John 13, he says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So when we look at the Galatians and the way that they're treating Paul, that's not love, right? He's become an enemy. And so for us, if there are people in our lives that um, we're not loving well, especially if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, because maybe they disagree with us. Maybe we're, maybe, we're, um, maybe we're having a hard time just giving grace to other people when they make a mistake or they, or they sin against us, right? When they sin against us, what are we supposed to do? We're, well, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to reconcile. It's not, I don't mean that in a simple, glib way. Like, the, you know, repentance, restitution, those things are all part of that forgiveness. But that is our posture, right? Is that we should want to extend grace. If you're in a place where you have a hard time extending grace to other people, this may be an indication we see from Paul, this may be an indication that you're drifting. If you can't celebrate with others, when others have uh, uh, moments in a life of, of success or victory, if you can't celebrate well, you may be drifting from grace. You're not able to step into that. If you're never satisfied, maybe it's you're never satisfied with yourself, or you're never satisfied with others, like they, they can never do enough, they can never be right. We may have drifted from grace. We're not leaning in 
to that gift. If you're overly critical of others, and you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor at Sojourn, but I'm a guest here at J-Town, so I can say this, right? Like, if you're, if you're overly critical of your church or your pastors, that's, that's what's happening to Paul. Paul came and preached the gospel to the Galatians, opening their eyes. God used him to, to open their eyes and free them from bondage and slavery to sin. And now they're all talking behind his back. They're all, they're all critiquing his sermon from last week, right? And they're saying, man, Paul didn't get it. These new guys, these new guys have it. Um, and so my, my encouragement to you would be this, would be, would be if, if you're one of the, I'm, I'm sure no one in here is doing that, but if you're one of those people, examine your heart. Where, are you experiencing the grace that God has offered? Or if you exchange that, have you, have you exchanged that for law and now you're filling, you're filling up with bitterness. Um, Professor Harold Bessie said this, and um, this is always this is a good word for me. I think it's a good word for all of us. He said, he said, a mature Christian is easily edified. Read that again. A mature Christian is easily edified. What does that mean? That means that, that people around you, whether it's your pastors or your friends or your family, they shouldn't have to do cartwheels to impress you. <laughs> they shouldn't have to be, uh, you know, everything doesn't have to be world-class around you. You should be easily edified by, by people around you who want to encourage you in Christ. They may, may, may make mistakes. They may not always nail it. But, but if we're mature in Christ, that should easily edify us, right? You know, someone is serving. Um, it doesn't always have to be Perfect. So, so that's one of those things for me of just saying, all right, am I quicker to sarcasm than prayer? Am I, am I quicker to a joke or, or, uh, or quicker to, to run to Scripture? Like, where is my heart in this stuff? And if you're at that place, one of the things I want you to think about doing is, is doing what the psalmist did in uh, Psalm 51, is that he prays that God would restore that joy of his salvation. You guys know that psalm? It says, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me and give me a willing spirit. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys are in the same place I am, but I, I remember the early days of my salvation. I remember how vivid the grace I had received was for me. Um, I, you know, I, I would wake up excited, not every day, but most days I wake up excited. I wanted to share that grace with other people. Um, it overflowed out of me. I was so aware of how much um, Christ had covered with his blood for me. And sometimes we have to go back as the psalmist did and said, restore unto me that joy. Remind me of that, uh, of that time when I was so aware of how immense um, your love and how, how much you lavished your grace upon me so that I can pour that grace out to others. So if you're in that place this morning, that's what I ask you to do. Pray that prayer. Restore unto me, Lord, that, that I wouldn't be filled with bitterness, that I, would, um, that I would be easily edified, that I wouldn't encourage others, that I wouldn't be so critical, that I would actually be able to love those who are trying to love me. So what's happening with the Galatians is, I don't know how long it's been. I probably should have asked one of the professors at Southern that question. How long has it been since Paul uh, had preached to them and now is writing this letter? But certainly they've forgotten. They've forgotten that joy that they experienced when he first preached. And now um, he's saying, 
you got to remember where we've been, and we also forget. And if we keep reading, Paul kind of throws this warning into us, or warning uh, into his letter here, and, and that's to beware of agents of drift. So he said, here's a, there, there's a temptation to drift. You, 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 you're drifting away from the gospel. And he said, here's the effect. We see the effect uh, of, of drifting away. Then he also has this um, note in here about agents of drift. He says, they court you eagerly, but for no good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. He says, it's always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I'm with you. What's going on here? <laughs> What's happening here? He's saying, there's some people that were waiting around and they saw what Paul did with the Galatians and they saw this change in the Galatians. They went from pagan to, to Christians. And it seems to me what happened is that they kind of came in on the coattails of this and said, you know, we'd like some followers too. You've clearly make a, made a dent in the Galatian population. They're no longer pagan. We would like to, we would like to get some followers, right? He says, he says they want to exclude, me, or exclude you from me so that, so that you would pursue them, that you'd make a big deal of them. And what I want you to hear from this is that when we drift from grace, we often do so by exchanging friends for what I would say are, are clearly enemies, people that want to pull you away from grace. That's what's happening to the Galatians. Sometimes there are people that want you to drift from grace. And we just have to acknowledge that, that that is a reality. There are people that want you to drift from grace, and so that doesn't mean that we would be ungracious grace, gracious to them. It does mean that we should be wise. It does mean that, that we, should, um, um, we should be aware of that possibility. And if, so, if someone is leading us to a place of bitterness, if someone is, is helping lead us away from that place of freedom as heirs of God, um, that the, our, our alarm should go up and we should say, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. Uh, I don't need to go to that place. And maybe we can help them move back towards grace. See, for, this, for these, these guys in Galatia, they want them to drift from grace because they want followers. They want to be made a big deal, right? That, that's kind of what we can, we can pull out of the text. They want you to make much of them. But what's interesting here, it says, it says they, kind of, they kind of pursue you when I'm around. So what's going on here is that, is that when Paul's around, they start being real nice to the Galatians. You know, what do you want? What do you need? We're here for you. But when... When Paul's gone, it doesn't seem like that's really happening. So there's something, they're, they're really trying to pull him away from Paul. And when we think about in life, just for us to, to remain in that place is that there sometimes there are going to be people that want to pull you away for their own reasons. One reason is maybe they're in that place where they've drifted from grace. They're in that place of bitterness. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place where you're like, man, if I can just bring them down to my level, Right? They're experiencing some freedom that I'm not experiencing. And rather than try to experience that freedom, people go, well, hey, man, come back and do the things we used to do. I mean, we're just friends, right? Like, this is like, like before you were a Christian, you know, we were a thing. So why don't you come back and do what we used to do? And sometimes they just do that because they want, you to, they, they want to bring you down to their level, right? They want to say, hey, mate, you're, you're not really experiencing that much freedom. They want they're trying to assuage guilt in their own life. Does that make sense? Some people want something from you, which it seems like these folks in Galatia wanted. Sometimes there's going to be people that call you up. What do you need? What is it that you want? What makes, what makes um, you tick? We want to make sure that we're serving you well. And they call you up and they get on TV and they talk about all these great things that they're going to do for you. And then the midterms pass. 
And then they don't call anymore, do they? They got your vote. Now you call up and you say, hey, you know, we talked about that thing that was going to be so great. And, uh, sorry, I don't, what, what's your name? They don't answer the calls. They don't return your calls. All of those things that they said they were going to do for you, they don't actually do. They were using you. Like these guys in Galatia. So sometimes we have to be aware. I mean, right now, I mean, that's what's on the top of mind, right? They're going to make much of you until you're of no use. And then you mean nothing, right? Now that may happen in that, like that's kind of a bigger scale, but that could happen personally. Sometimes there's people that do that. And what Paul's saying is like, look, look out for people who actually love you and draw you towards grace. If someone's doing that with you, that might be a great opportunity for you to pull them back towards grace. But it's not going to be good for your soul to be drawn in or drawn away to drift away from grace. Don't entertain it. Don't, don't play with it. That's like, it's like someone who's sitting on the car in the middle of the river going, come back here. Come back here. It's great. You know, it's awesome. I mean, yeah, we're fishing now. You know, I, there's a waterfall coming, but I'm sure we'll be fine. I mean, we've been fine so far. They want you to get back on the car and you're already experiencing freedom on the, on the shore. Don't go back. See, this is the, this is the heart of Paul. He says, my children, I am again suffering labor pains. Look at this language. I'm, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is fully formed in you. That's Paul's heart for the Galatians. That's God's heart for you. That's Pastor Lyle and the other pastors here at J-Town's heart for you is that you would see Christ formed in you, fully formed in you. That's the heart of a father for his children. Um, not, not to pull away so that they could have more followers. Not to push you away from, um, from grace so that you would make much of them. But, but the heart of Paul is all I want for you is that you would see Christ fully formed in you, that you would embrace the call to be an heir of God, that you would, you would experience that freedom of, of not having to worry about your salvation ever again because it's paid in full. It's all taken care of. And then you can experience joy in me and joy God. That's the heart. It's the heart of Paul. It's the heart of God because he loves them. He's a father. He sees them as a spiritual father. I mean, that language, suffering labor pains. Half of this crowd understands what that, or might understand what that actually feels like. The idea of like, that everything in him is groaning to see them experience that freedom. And that's what Paul wants you to hear this morning. That's the heart of God. That we wouldn't drift away. To be reminded that we don't need to measure up. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else here. If you're a Christian here today, and there are other Christians around you, we're all in the same place. We're all co-heirs in Christ. So there's nothing to compare to. We can just rejoice for one another. See, the Father wants, just like when we talked about at the beginning, when, when you say to your son or your daughter, what am I going to do with you? He wants the best for you. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to drift from grace. So I think the message this morning for us is, is to watch your life. Watch that. There's a temptation there. Don't fall for it. If you see the effects of drift in your life, find someone, talk with someone, repent of that, move back towards grace. And as, as, as much as it's up to you, within your power, be an agent of grace, not an agent of drift.
Help other people move back towards freedom. Don't, don't, don't um, double down on the cynicism. Don't double down on the, on, the, on the sarcasm. Move people towards grace. Does that make sense? So we celebrate this truth every morning, or every week, I should say, when we gather as um, we take communion together. So each week, we take the bread that was broken. As we share it, we're reminded of the grace that, that Christ fulfilled in the law so that we could, we could enjoy this meal as brothers and sisters. Isn't that a great joy this morning, that we could, we could enjoy it and, and that we're invited to take the cup, which represents the, body, or the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. As we do that, remembering this morning that that, that is a grace, a grace that we did not deserve, a grace that we did not earn. And we take it, celebrate that this morning when you take communion. Um, this meal is for a family. So uh, if, if you're a brother and sister in Christ, please come up. If you're not, if you're someone this morning that's still in that place where you're still trying to earn God's favor or you're still trying to prove you're good enough or you're in a place where you're, you're, you're steeped in, in a functional Savior, something that, just, that, that, that um, distracts you from that reality, we would love to celebrate this meal with you in coming weeks. We'd love for you to take uh, some moments to, to do business with Jesus, to give your life to him so that you could share that meal with us. If you want to talk to someone, I know Pastor Lyle's here, there's some other pastors and myself, we'd love to talk to you this morning. All right? Let me pray for us.